I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Hi, this is Newt. Due to the virus, I'm recording from home. So you may notice a difference in audio quality. On this episode of Newt's World, Legendary spy and art restorer Gabriel Alon has slipped quietly into Venice for a much-needed holiday with his wife and two young children. But when Pope Paul VII dies suddenly, Gabriel is summoned to Rome by the Holy Father's loyal private secretary, Archbishop Luigi Donati. A billion Catholic faithful have been told that the Pope died of a heart attack. Donati suspects murder. The Order is a novel of friendship and faith in a perilous and uncertain world. I've read all 19 of his Gabriel Alon novels twice, and I'm a huge fan of his work. I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, Daniel Silva, an award-winning number one New York Times best-selling author of 23 novels, including The Black Widow, The Other Woman, and The New Girl. His books are critically acclaimed bestsellers around the world. Did you have any notion that Gabriel Alon, art restorer, assassin, spy master, would have a career this long when you started? I certainly did not. He was literally constructed, built, conceived to appear in a single book, the first book, which is called The Kill Artist. It was not a title I liked, to be honest with you. It was inflicted on me by my publisher. But nevertheless, he was supposed to appear in that first book, and that was it. And I was talked into writing a second 
novel with Gabriel. And that novel sold more than the first novel. And then I wrote the third book, which is The Confessor, which introduced Gabriel's ties to the Vatican. That's where they originate in that novel. By the time I finished that book, it was pretty clear to me that I had a successful series. He was, at that time, in the top five of the New York Times bestseller list year in and year out, and it was going to work. Much to my surprise, I did not think that an Israeli could be a successful continuing series. I thought there was far too much anti-Israeli sentiment in the world. And frankly, too much anti-Semitism in the world for an Israeli to ever work in a truly mass market way. And I have been proven wrong. And no one is more surprised by the long-term success of the series than I am. It seems to me that you've had sort of three vectors, if I can use that term, of threat. You've had the terrorist threat from the Muslim world. You've had the Russians. And then you've had a unique series of problems involving the Catholic Church. The 20 volumes actually have these three patterns woven through them. Did that just evolve over time, or did you ever have a notion that's how it would work? No. I did introduce Gabriel in a counterterrorism story. And then 9-11 happened. And if you look at the pattern of my books, I wanted nothing to do with terrorism post 9-11. It just was not something that seemed entertaining, being a Washingtonian, watching smoke rising from the Pentagon. To me, it just wasn't entertaining, even though I had something to say about it, given my experience as a journalist. is the topic that I had been in it for a long time, the rise of Islamic extremism. I just didn't want to write novels about it. So if you look at those first series of books, Gabriel is really dealing with what I would later call the unfinished business of the Holocaust, property theft, art looting, war criminals, and the Roman Catholic Church. And as he formed a really close bond and friendship with my fictitious pope, Pope Paul VII, and perhaps more important, the pope's private secretary, Luigi Donati, Gabriel restored art for the Vatican. For a time, he lived on a Vatican-owned property. He really had just had developed a very close bond to the Vatican. I think it's one of the most unique aspects of the series that this Israeli had this close friendship with the Holy Father, the Pope and the Pope's private secretary. And it gave me an arena to explore some of the more painful issues in Jewish Catholic history. And that is something that I take up in part in the new book. The new book, I think you had finished before they had opened the archives recently for the World War II period. They opened the archives and then they immediately had to close them down because of COVID. So in terms of the aspect of Pope Pius XII and the degree to which he may or may not have countenanced the support of the church helping Nazi war criminals, in effect, escape justice, get to South America. And the last sort of thing we heard before they closed the doors on this was that the church had been hoping that they would unearth some exculpatory evidence about Pius's role in it. And I think that the last glimpse we had was that was probably the opposite of what we were going to find there. Historians and writers and critics have argued now for a couple of decades over Pius's role and not speaking out about the Holocaust, not trying to 
call on Hitler to stop it. But I think that his behavior after the war is just as damning. Before you meet Gabriel Alon, you did yeah. several novels about Northern Ireland and one novel about World War II. They're great novels. I like them. But they're really very different in rhythm from what happens once you start doing Gabriel Alon. What was your thinking when you did those books? I wanted to establish an American intelligence officer with an interesting family life who was involved in counterterrorism. Each year when I go on book tour, my fans really like those novels. When are you going to write Michael Osborne? He's the protagonist. When are you going to write him again? When I first wrote Gabriel, there was just an extra level there. And it is because he sort of stands at the crossroads of several things that I'm incredibly interested in. Art, the history of the Holocaust and World War II, the history of the Middle East, the threat against Israel is just never ending. And the baggage that many Israelis of Gabriel's age carry is just a level that we as Americans don't quite grasp. And I think that's one of the things that has made the series successful is that people have a greater understanding of what it means to actually be an Israeli and an Israeli intelligence officer. Both his parents stumbled into Israel barely alive out of displaced persons camps in Europe. He was born in the 50s with a memory of the Holocaust hanging over them with candles burning on the mantelpiece for his grandparents and all the other members of his family who'd been killed. That creates a depth of character and a resonance of character that I was just not able to achieve with a hardworking, interesting CIA character. Do you think as a professional, you needed to do those earlier books to get your skills to a point where when you and Gabriel met each other, you were prepared to write with the kind of I mean, I think of your books as romantic. Yeah, that is such a good question. And I think only someone with your experience, both as a novelist and a nonfiction writer and an intellectual, can grasp that. And the answer is yes. I just did an interview with a reporter and literary writer, and he says, I get tired of telling my readers this, but your books get better and better with each subsequent novel. And how do you do it? And the short answer is I work very hard at it. But I do think that... It, like anything, you get better. It takes practice. I do think that I was better prepared to write Gabriel when I did. Uh, but also he did just strike something within me. And I was able to create really interesting characters around him. And I do think that that's probably the most important aspect of the series is that he does have an incredible supporting cast of characters. His mentor, Ari Shamron, the other people who work in the office with him, a pope, the pope's private secretary, art thieves, British spies, American spies. I don't think it's accurate, but I always think of Ben-Gurion when I think of Shamron. It's not quite accurate, but it does represent that generation. He would be several years younger than the old man, as they call him. But he came to British-ruled Palestine before there was an Israel and literally fought for and then built a country. There are not many people who can say they did that. There's something about the sort of stolid toughness that Ben-Gurion had that kind of comes through and may not be a deliberate parallel, but it seems to me it comes through in your vision of Shamron. 
Gabriel and Shamron do see the world a little bit differently. Um, Shamron is rather uncompromising. I did an interview once with someone who's very knowledgeable on Israel and the politics, and he said, <laughs> Gabriel Lon, is he a, a two-stater or a one-stater? At the time, I believe I answered that Gabriel Lon was a two-stater, that he did believe that the Palestinians needed a state of their own. I don't think that Ari Shamron would fall into that category. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. You made an interesting point I want to draw you out on for a minute, because I think it's one that all too many Americans do not understand, and that is that at least up through the last generation, Israelis in particular and European Jews in general have had a lot of experiences which gave them a poignancy, which is very hard to capture in a place like America, because just the sheer number of different things that were hard or terrifying, or evil, over a period of about 50 years, was an astonishing process. And you capture that with different personalities who come in from different angles, and you unveil them rather than trumpet them, so that people sort of get it, but you're not cramming it down their throat. If they sat around lamenting their plight, it would be rather boring to listen to, and it's also just not true almost everyone in the country, if they are descendants of European Jews, nearly everyone 
lost relatives in the Holocaust. And that's true of many American Jews as well. You know, you just remarked that it was in the past 50 years or so. One of the things I explore in the new book is the source of anti-Semitism. Where did it come from? And as part of that, I point out that, as I have on a couple of occasions, that the Holocaust was really not the only Holocaust. There were many other massacres of Jews in Europe. It was just sort of the pogrom to end all pogroms. Well, you know, you capture some of this in The Black Widow. Well, you open with the description of France that is so horrifying. It does strike me that there has been a resurgence of anti-Semitism in ways that is pretty shocking. The shocking rise of anti-Semitism in the last couple of years is something I deal with in this novel explicitly. And I'm afraid that much of that is now actually coming from the far right, and particularly in Germany. I make a connection in this novel between the rise of anti-Semitism in Europe and the simultaneous rise of far-right populism and real extremism in Europe. I think that is where it is emanating from now. In a way, between the virus and the European problems, they take our attention away from the parallel challenges from the Islamic world. Having taken away the caliphate and turned them into losers, which is what Gabriel said to do in The Black Widow, if you remember. I do believe that a combination of years and years of punishing attacks against terrorists in the Middle East, combined with better surveillance, the European security services were sort of slow on the uptake. They were slow to address these problems. And I've been rightly critical of them in my novels, but they are doing a better job now. France is pretty draconian. They had a terrible problem. I am cautiously pessimistic that we've turned the corner on the threat of jihadist terrorism in Europe, except for smaller guys with knives and trucks and things like that. I think that we've made incredible progress. To come back to the church for a minute, I have a sense that you have some real affection for Pope Francis. I do. I have spent a lot of time around the Vatican, as you know. I have witnessed firsthand and sat in on discussions with traditional priests about their disdain for Francis. I do like him very much, actually. And I know that the populist right in Europe does not, particularly the populist politicians in Italy and their supporters. And that is actually the inspiration for the novel. It was their absolute disdain for Francis. That's where I found inspiration for the order. It does seem to me that some real parallels in tone between your pope and the real pope. I always thought of Paul VII as a traditionalist reformer. So he was going to be slow and cautious and around the edges. He was not going to make any big hand motions, as we say. In my universe, as I point out in the foreword, the papacies of Ratzinger and Bergoglio, they did not occur. So we go straight from JP II to the fictitious Pope Paul VII. So all of the turmoil flows through him, as well as the real challenges facing the Roman Catholic Church and the real divisions. And as you know, they are profound, and that is putting it mildly. I think that the church is in 
serious, serious trouble. And that includes its financial condition. I have been told by people close to the Vatican and at the Vatican that the church is really sort of on the verge of bankruptcy. Here in this country, we've had numerous dioceses and orders declare bankruptcy already. I think we're up to about 19. You cannot overstate the damage that has been done to the church by the clerical sexual abuse scandal. It has the potential to be an extinction level event if they're not careful. I'm always impressed, maybe partly because we're in Rome, talking to you from Rome, but the scale of the overall church is still amazing. It's extraordinary. Gabriel tells the Pope that he would not want to live in a world without the Roman Catholic Church. And that is a theme that runs through this novel. The church has got to get its act together and find a way to heal its divisions and right the ship and figure a way out of this self-made calamity of the priestly sexual abuse scandal. We go up occasionally to an abbey that's about an hour from here up into the mountains, which is one of the places that Benedict actually stopped and was a hermit in a cave for about three years. If you think about the geography of Italy, Benedict up there is preaching to the pagans. This is around 580 AD. But the church's reach was that small that he's actually working his way south through the pagans. One of the things that I point out in this novel, because I have a couple of scenes set in Assisi, that Assisi became Catholic or Christian in the third century. Yes, it was small, but it's also true that the spread of Christianity was quite a remarkable uh, achievement. Yeah. I mean, it spread so quickly. It's actually remarkable. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. 
The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Part of what you do that makes Gabriel Alon so interesting is you actually rely on friends who are experts at art restoration. You're able, even in occasional paragraphs, I mean, they're not necessarily major themes, but they get all of your books. It makes it very vivid. I'm curious, do you literally sit down with folks and say, we're great art restorers and say, so how would you do this and what would you think and you know, what would you be using? I actually have one art restorer who serves as my advisor. I use allegory, the paintings that Gabriel is working on find their way into the story almost invariably. And in The Confessor, for example, he is restoring a Madonna and Child, I believe, but he's actually restoring the actual face of Mary. And that has deep resonance within the story. In this novel, he's supposed to be on holiday in Venice, and to give him something to do for a couple of weeks, he's actually restoring the Tintoretto. The Tintoretto depicts Mary's visit to the temple, and that has a great deal of resonance within the story. If there is art in the story, pick a painting that has the subject matter, the iconography, has something to do with the topic I'm working on. I've actually become a pretty good fictitious art restorer. I don't need too much help anymore. If you look carefully, I try to avoid having too much sort of brush to canvas description of it. Trying to describe someone painting is not so easily done or it might not be all that interesting to read. There's usually something else going on within the story. Well, you have had 20 years of practice as an art restorer. You would be interested, by the way, the director of the museum, Barbara Yada, who is, I think, the highest ranking woman in the Vatican. They just found two oil paintings by Raphael, which they thought were frescoes. And they went back and were re-examining them and realized that they weren't frescoes at all. They were paintings by Raphael. In fact, probably the last two paintings he did before he died. So they're now on display at the Vatican Museum. You would love the whole story. People had just assumed that they were frescoes. They were set at each end of a fresco and looked like they were part of the same fresco. You create a really charming character as your art dealer in London. Was that based on a real person? I'll answer it exactly the same way that it's in the acknowledgments. I thank someone named Patrick Matisson who gave me Isherwood, and that's all I'll say on it. There is a gallery in that corner of Mason's Yard called the Matisson Gallery, and I'll leave it at that. That's great. That's terrific. You've lived a number of interesting places, both in doing the novels and in your earlier career in the news business. When you did the Corsican sections, do you actually go to Corsica? I have visited there, but actually I create mentally my own village, my own people. You see where Gabriel in Moscow rules in the defector, he's living 
on a Vatican property in a little town called Amelia in Umbria. Well, we've rented that farm where Gabriel actually is living and lived there for the summer while I was working on that book. Whenever possible, I do that. One of the things about COVID was that I was supposed to come this winter and finish the book there in Rome. It's a conclave ending. And I wanted to come there and write it there, and I couldn't, because at that time, Italy was being ravaged by COVID. I think you are remarkable in your ability to bring things together to make them interesting, but also to make them an education. So you're the best of the combination of entertainment and education. And uh, I appreciate that, especially coming from you. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Mr. Speaker. Thank you to my guest, Daniel Silva. You can read more about his new novel, The Order, and Gabriel Alon's character on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers, and our producer is Garnsey Sloan. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Pendley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. Please email me with your questions at gingrich360.com slash questions. I'll answer them in future episodes. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network.